Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. Hello, hello, hello to you. And what up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I am Jay Hall. Happy to talk to you. Dealing with just me today. And I wanted to turn you on to something that's pretty dear to me. I'm coming off of an incredible weekend, an incredible in the word of it was an emotional roller coaster that ended with heartbreak with my Detroit Lions. But first, let me just tell you about my very first Detroit Lion memory. Uh, one day I'm very small, elementary school, and there's a gentleman on TV, he's on a talk show, and my mom points and be like, he held you as a baby. And I'm looking at the TV screen, and I'm still playing with toys, not even comprehending. And she's like, he held you as a baby. He held you as a baby. Now, in that very moment, I had no idea who my mother was talking about, but she's repeated this story multiple times, and it turns out it was retired football running back Billy Sims. Billy Sims, who had played from played for four years with the Detroit Lions until he got a knee injury. And I guess my mother saw him in the mall, and she was holding me and he held me. He was like, and she was like, oh, Billy Sims, you know, like that. And so she always, whenever she hear the name Billy Sims, she she says that. And Billy Sims, I think when I was looking on TV, he was, I guess, on some sports network or whatever, having a conversation. My second memory is the immortal Barry Sanders playing on Thanksgiving. I remember eating at a family house on Thanksgiving. Everybody's gathered around and you know, people are in and out. I've explained to you how I have a, like a boys in the hood type block with people. Everybody know everybody. And Barry did a move and everybody in the house said, whoa, it exploded. And I looked on the TV screen and they showed the instant replay. And he did a zigzag juke move that we now call a Madden play. But this is before Madden. And he did a jig move and somebody fell and collapsed and Barry went straight to the touchdown. I got to tell you, Barry Sanders, the legendary Barry Sanders, I don't know if he won that particular game, but that started my journey on the amazing Barry Sanders as I was growing up. And as his career was taking off is when I was coming of age. So there were three people as a Detroit Lion fan that I can recall and remember. One was Barry Sanders. Two was Coach Wayne Fonts, and three was wide receiver Herman Moore. Those are the trilogy. Those are the trio that I can recall on highlights growing up in the city, you know. Then, as I'm watching these Lions games, I'm not necessarily understanding as I'm coming up how it goes. You know, I'm not understanding playoffs. There was no one there to really explain it to me. I'm learning as I'm watching, and it dawns on me that we're having a really great season and we go all the way to the NFC championship. And here I am still in elementary school in front of my TV, popcorn that my grandmother made me. And I now I'm starting to get it and I'm getting excited. And we are one game away from the Super Bowl. And man, oh man, that was a loss like none other. The Washington then named Redskins led by coach Joe Gibbs put a whooping on us, 41 to 10. They had one of the slowest quarterbacks ever, Mark Ripken. That man jumped over the line. He was all over the field. And boy, did we get demolished. And, you know, we thinking we coming back next year. I remember that. People was on the streets like, we're going to be back next year. We got the squad. Well, 
We went five and eleven next year. Yeah. As it continued, Barry Sanders became a legend every single game back home. I mean, downtown Detroit near Woodward. When I got in high school, I was going to school on the east side, but I was a kid who lived on the west side. But the east side and west side buses would meet downtown back in the day. As anybody from that era, they'll tell you. But downtown had this huge, giant-sized moral of Barry Sanders running in a pose next on this building. It was giant size. And every year, they listed his yards. Every year, they listed his yards. And so you're sitting there. You're waiting on this bus stop. Everybody can see Barry downtown, and every year you're looking at his yards go up and up and up. And I'm thinking that he was going for a record or whatever, or we was rooting for the record. I'm not positive, but let me tell you, to see that giant size sign downtown Detroit was iconic. It was it was history in the making, like watching real live cinema being developed in front of you. Now, despite the fact that we didn't go back, another heartbreak came is when Barry Sanders announced that he was retiring through a fax machine, mind you, in 1998. Woo! And this is when my relationship with the Lions really starts to get a little bit tricky. Because now that Barry is gone, who's the central figure that you're going to watch for? Because when you have a star player, it's one thing to see that your team is going to lose. But you also are rooting for your star player to do something, right? And, and Barry was must-see TV every Sunday. That's who he was. And you mean to tell me Barry Sanders is no longer going to play the game? And they kept being rumors that he'll come back. People kept having conversations that maybe he's going to go to another team or maybe he just wanted to take a year off. And it never happened. Okay? A few years after that was kind of a blur, but I do remember the Joey Harrington era quarterback coming, I think, what was he from the Pac-10? I think he was coming from, I don't know. I think he's from Portland or he played for Portland, but he's from the West Coast. Joey Harrington played for four years and, let me tell you, during that period of time, there was only three games that were even worth mentioning. The first game in the season, because we would primarily win the first game, which would give us hope. Sometimes we would win Thanksgiving because we were on TV. So you're like, okay, we win at Thanksgiving. And then we would lit, win the last game, which would give us hope for the next season. And it almost as if our record, and I might be wrong, so feel free to go fact check, but our record used to at least be about 5-11 and 11 or 3-16 and 16 or whatever. But primarily... It evolved around those three games, okay? And it became a headache. It did. Now, during this period of time, the city of Detroit is actually going through what us Detroiters know as its redevelopment, okay? There were plans to redevelop the city. The first thing that I can recall, and again, please forgive me, but the biggest thing that it was being talked about was them building the new stadium downtown, Detroit Tiger Stadium was about to be out, the old school one, and they built the new baseball stadium and the football stadium next to each other. So here's a little known fact. A lot of the teams in Detroit City were not actually in Detroit. They wasn't. For example, side note, the whole Malice in the Palestine, Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers, when they got in a fight fighting with the fans, the one thing us native Detroiters hate is that when y'all say they had to fight in Detroit, that's back when the Pistons played at Arvin Hills, which is about 45, 30 minutes, depending on where you're coming from the city. But it's not Detroit, okay? It's not at all. Hence why, respectfully, why that fight turned out the way it did, looking like a clown show, because that fight would have actually been in the city with some genuine Detroiters. It might have been a little different story. I'm just saying, all right? But be that as it may, the Joey Harrington era didn't necessarily last that long. 
Now, I would watch as we lose over and over again. Okay. I would still watch. I'm still a Lions fan. And as you know, somewhere down the line, during some those years, I moved and went to D.C., but I would still catch me a Lions game if I can, okay? I would still go to a local bar or go to a friend dorm who had the high internet and at Howard, and I would watch my Detroit Lions when I can, okay? Because one thing about me, I'm Detroit in and out. The only thing that's a little bit opposite to me is I cheer for Michigan State when the majority of the city, when I came up with, was cheering for University of Michigan. Everything else about me, it's all about Detroit. That's just who I am. If you got a car and that person got a car and that car is called the Detroit such and such, I'm cheering for that Detroit ice cream truck or that car. That's just who I am. Okay. So I'm out here in DC trying to recognize the new city and it's becoming a little bit different now because if you ever left your city and now you have to rep your sports team, that's a different relationship because you are no longer around people that you're next to and y'all are on the same thing. No, guess what? You're around this person from Philadelphia. You're around this person right here from Connecticut who's a New England fan. You're around this person right here who's from New York. And depending on what part of New York City they're from, they're the Giants fan or they're from Jersey and they are a Jets fan. You're around all these people who have all this stuff to say about your Lions. So it's one thing for me to feel that way amongst the people that I came up with. It's a whole nother thing when you got somebody who just coming at you off top when you at the bar or you in school or they just talking about your your team suck and you kind of feel like they're saying that your city suck and you kind of feel like they're saying that you suck. They kind of feel like they're saying your mama. That's a problem. So I'm not about to get into all the times that there was some occurrences that might have happened because I was a younger person before I found baby black Jesus and I didn't necessarily know how to handle myself accordingly like I am now. Okay. That's not important. But let me tell you when things hit rock bottom it was 2008. Being a Detroit Lions fan in 2008 was the saddest in franchise history because that is when we joined the 1976 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who was then an expansion team, and we became and we had a winless season. The Buccaneers went 0-14 in 1976. 2008, we went 0-16. Yes, that is. And as of now, the only team that ever joined that <laughs> record that nobody wants is the Cleveland Browns, who in 2017, they went 0-16. So the reason why I know those two things, because when you're a Detroit Lions fan, in order for you to have any type of conversation, when you move outside your city, you have to know facts about other people's cities, okay? For the longest time, people from Philly, when I was in college, used to get at me real hard. And I used to say to them during that time, you ain't win no Super Bowl either, okay? You talking all that. You, you from Cleveland. You ain't win no Super Bowl either. You know what I mean? Shout out to Philly. They end up winning. But hey, listen, this is what it was, okay? And growing up, I always had a secondary team because the Lions were losing. And being in the Midwest, we used to get a lot of San Francisco 49ers games. And I was also a 49ers fan. That was my second team. Steve Young, to me, when I was growing up, was one of the greatest white men in history because he used to run, he used to throw which is interesting because they never used to call Steve Young a running quarterback, despite the fact that he used to run. But the 49ers was my squad. That 94 team, man, did I cheer for them. That's what I would do. I would cheer for the Lions until they wouldn't make the playoffs, and then here we go, 49ers. That's just how I went. You understand? Shout out to my sister, Jamil Hill, who is a huge 49ers fan in and out. But for me, they would just say second team because, hey, listen, we all need something to cheer for when we coming up. Now, this 2008 season was bad because, again, I'm not living in D.C. 
But the Lions are making mainstream media news because it's like 0-8, 0-11, 0-13. Are they going to do it? And I remember I went home and a couple of my friends were joking because we're so used to joking about the Lions being trash. They're like, yeah, man, they should go on 16. Go all out. Because some of you don't remember, but we had went, I think, 4-0 and in the preseason, <laughs> which preseason don't matter. But that was the ironic thing of it. And my friends were like, yeah, we should go on 16. I said, bro, it's not what you want. Because the thing about growing up in Detroit City is that you're kind of on a cultural island. We don't know what's going on anywhere else but really in our city, especially before social media. When you're living on the East Coast, like I live in D.C., I step outside, I'm seeing half people who are born and raised in D.C. and other half people are from somewhere else. You have interactions when you're in New York and you meet people from Connecticut, you meet people from the Tri-State, you meet people from Jersey, you meet people from Philly, you meet people from North Carolina, you meet people from Atlanta. That's what these cities are. But when you're in a city like Detroit, it's just us. We're not really interacting with nobody else. I don't really see nobody, maybe one or two people from Ohio and nobody back there used to come visit us. So us joking about or having a comment or a critique about how trash our squad was, yeah, that's cool amongst us. You know, it's almost like you can be angry at your wife, but no one else better not say nothing about your wife. You can be mad at your mother, but no one else better not say nothing about your mother. Yeah, that's my drunk uncle. He ain't your drunk uncle to comment on. And I'm trying to tell my friends this, but these are friends that have never left the city. I get back, I come back. A couple of weeks later, I'm even watching the game, and I'll never forget. I think they were playing against Green Bay, and it seemed as if they was least going to win this one game. And no, they lost terribly. And <laughs> I got to tell you, that still hurts. It still hurts. I just need a second. I'm sorry. But it, it still hurts to not win one game. It hurts. Now, things got dark. And I really can't explain to you what was going on past that. But I can tell you, a light has showed up. And that's the 2014 season. I think the year before that is when we hired a black coach, mind you. And that's Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell had, came from the Indianapolis Colts, I'm pretty sure. And he was the offensive coordinator. I think he even did it as an interim session for a little bit. I could be wrong. But Jim Caldwell, we welcome him with open arms. We got a black coach in a black city, because I don't know if you know about this, but those fans that you see in that Detroit Dome, um, those fans that are, you know, colorless, that's not necessarily a representation of the city. That is the product of a redevelopment of the stadium being built right by a freeway highway where people who live outside can just come watch the game and get right back in that highway and go out. So when you see all of those colorful Caucasian individuals being joyous and happy, that's not necessarily representation of the city, okay? Representation of the city is black on black on black on black. I grew up with black principals. I grew up with black teachers. It was amazing when I was meeting friends from Brooklyn that was like, they never had a black teacher or a black principal. And I'm like, wow, really? Because that's all I grew up with. It's what I like to call soul food black, not necessarily any Caribbean culture, not a lot of Africans, whatever, not saying they don't live there now or they wasn't around. But let me tell you, primarily, when you are the product of the great migration and you are the grandchild of that, we are what I like to call soul food black. 
Okay, so getting Jim Caldwell, the first black coach at the Detroit Lions to come to our city, I can tell you right now, that was a big deal. Okay, a huge deal because the Detroit Lions are owned by the Ford family. And you know about Ford Motor Cars and we looking at them and none of them look like us. And a lot of these people who own the things that are in our city, unfortunately, a lot of them don't look like me. OK, so getting a head coach who looked like us was a big deal. Not to mention we had drafted Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford was coming out of Georgia. And we also had Calvin Johnson a few years before that. And Calvin Johnson to this day is one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. So there was three people I was paying attention to. Jim Caldwell, Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson must see TV to me to see Calvin Johnson catch some of the most beautiful passes I had ever seen to this day. All right. But let me tell you something about that 2014 season. That 2014 season felt a little good. It was a little different. We ended up having a record of 11 and 5, and we got into the playoffs on the wild card. But who do we go up against? The Cowboys. And we lose in a controversial way. 24 <laughs> 20. And I don't want to bring up the details of that game, but go ahead and do your Googles about that wild card game in 2014 of the Cowboys versus. The Lions. Now, karma came back to the Cowboys the next week. And I don't even believe in karma, but I believe in it right there. And I'm not even a Cowboys hater, but I was that year. But karma came back for them next week after that, but we lost. Now, again, we're thinking we're getting ready to do something, but nothing really happened after that. Unfortunately, in 2017, Jim Caldwell was fired, and a lot of us don't feel as if he had a real chance to be there. And then they brought in this guy named Matt Patricia, who had came from New England. And in short, Matt Patricia was trash. He came in off his first meeting talking about this team needs work. He totally demoralized the squad that felt like they were a good team, at least. They just, okay, if you're going to give us new leadership, we're here for it. And he came in just straight dissing the past regime when this guy had took them to the playoffs for the first time since 2011. Okay. From my understanding, a lot of players wasn't really happy about that. And the Matt Patricia era was just trash era, okay? It wasn't nothing for it. But here, here's the most important thing. As the years went by, my Detroit Lions relationship, my love affair with them has always been something that's been hurt, love, hurt, love, hurt, love, Sunday to Sunday. But then something different happened to me. I started to fall out of love with football. So let me pivot for a second. It was before the pandemic shut down, and you're starting to see a lot of former players, retired players, older players, raise concern about their health. The consciousness of the CTE is really coming up, and you have former players that are asking for stuff, and you have this attitude of players currently, some, not all, but a lot of people who were in administration of the NFL, and a lot of fans where the attitude was coming off of, you know what you signed up for, and my feelings was not quite, not quite. We wasn't aware of CTE. We wasn't aware of a lot of things. And who knows that what they do right now is going to end up giving them to the most severe back pains. And listen, and what if I do know that? I can't change my mind. You know what I'm saying? I got to suffer. You know, the whole, you know, what you signed up for thing has always been an interesting thing to me because it's like people just expect for you just to be in misery. You got people who get married all the time. And they get divorced all the time because guess what? Maybe it was what they signed up for and maybe they changed their mind or maybe this person changed. 
things change. And the former players who were raising concern to see some of the heroes that you saw that were iconic, and now they're like withered old men, barely can be able to hold themselves together. And some of them technically really wasn't that old. It was becoming disheartening to me, not to mention the conscious, the, the constant racism that was just taking place that I just wasn't messing with. You know, black quarterbacks here, you know, people being angry at Mike Vick. Don't get me wrong. Mike Vick was completely wrong about what he did with those dogs. But man, you had white players that was just feel like they was getting away with everything. Ben Roethlisberger had got accused of, of rape twice or sexual assault twice. And you had people who were just acting like that was okay. I just was falling in love with the sport. No disrespect to nobody, but this is just the truth. I was falling out of love with the sport, and then tension started rising, and then we look up and we had to protest, and then you had the rising of Trump. Now, I wrote a column about Colin Kaepernick and how I necessarily wasn't saying that I don't support him, but I wasn't saying that I was supporting him because my feelings were kind of conflicted. He wasn't necessarily clear to me at times when he would speak, and sometimes I felt like when he spoke, a little bit off football, I wasn't necessarily feeling what the comments that he had to say, especially like in 2016 when Hillary was running for president and Trump was running for president and he was calling them both, like, I think the phrase might be overseers or race. He would just add in opinions to things that I didn't think was constructed. You know, I didn't think that he was putting thought into it. However, I'm not saying that what he took a knee for, I wasn't for it because I definitely was for it, but it, it felt like it was just something that everybody was kind of jumping on. And it was a lot of misinformation being there, you know, and I wasn't quite understanding a lot. And I think that's okay to say that, you know, I mean, I said it back then. I'm cool with the brother. I, I had nothing against him. I didn't dismiss it, nothing like that. I think you have a right to, but it wasn't this Ali-ish MLK thing that I felt like individuals were trying to make it out to be. I think people were kind of projecting a lot of their issues and their hurt upon certain things, as we normally do. Listen, I've been a victim of that myself. But the NFL's reaction to it is really what turned me off more so, not Colin Kaepernick. It was Jerry Jones and um, and Donald Trump telling them, get them SOBs on the field. And Jerry Jones and them somehow taking a knee and and somehow this is a protest against Trump. What are we talking about right now? I'm not understanding any of this. And I kind of got to a point where I wasn't watching it for the first time in my life. I think it was 2020. I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I won't necessarily call myself a protester when I wasn't watching a game every Sunday because I felt like that would be disingenuous and I'd be dishonest. However, I was not watching because I was just disheartened by everything. I just wasn't feeling it. So I just fell out of love for it. And then time went by. And as time kept moving on, there was an announcement that not only did Matt Patricia got fired. Oh, oh, side note, I almost forgot about this. The Matt Millen era in Detroit as a GM who kept drafting all these wide receivers that weren't working out for Joey Arrington. That Matt Millen era, boys, if we were already terrible, that Matt Millen era really set us back worse, okay? <laughs> set us back all the way wrong. But then we started to see a glimmer because an announcement came that not only are we hiring a new GM because Matt Patricia, and I think that GM had came from the New England Patriots franchise also too. I can be wrong. But what I do know is when it was announced that they hired Brad Holmes, I do know that that brother is a black. And I do know that brought me right back full circle just a little bit. Like, well, wait a minute, we got a black GM? 
<laughs> what's going on here in the black city? We are we back at this right now? Okay, okay, I see it, I see it. But then they announced that they hired this guy who I never heard of named Dan Campbell. Don't know who he is. Now, I'll be 100 with you. I'm not as, and this is because I have a lot of friends that actually played the sport professionally. Like my roommate in college, he actually, actually played before he got hurt. Shout out to my guy, Brew. When you're around people like that, I realize I don't know that much about football. Okay? Because these people understand the science. They understand all of that. My roommate back in the day, who was my roommate in college and my roommate post-college, I used to he's the one that made Matt not fun for me anymore because I would line up and he would be like, can tell me what I'm already getting ready to do. It just wasn't fun no more. So I never heard of Dan Campbell. Okay? But I didn't take it as, I didn't hear about him as if he was nobody because I understand my limited knowledge. I understand I have a fair amount of knowledge to know what's going on, but I'm not deep dive into it. So I just chalked it up to, I don't know who this guy is, right? And then he gets up there and he makes that speech about, we're going to be the team that's going to bite us at the kneecaps. You got to keep on calling. We're going to be a team of grit. We're going to be this. We're going to be that. And I remember, shout out to my sister, Jamil Hill. She even had tweeted, this is who black coaches are losing their job to. Because it was just like, okay, you know, now, he gave more energy than a coach I had ever heard, you know, in Detroit Lions history of coaches. But he also felt it felt a little disillusioned a little bit. But, you know, it was like, it's OK. You know, it's all right. You know, you know, it is what it is. I wish you would have hired a black coach, but you didn't. So this is where we at. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then I got to admit, I started watching those episodes of Hard Knocks. And it was the Detroit Lions. I never even watched Hard Knocks before. But I'm watching the Detroit Lions. And I'm watching what Dan Campbell has to say. And I have to say, to watch it as a show and to watch him, it was captivating. He said, team of grit. He was saying things that was identifying with what I grew up with. Things that I have to admit, as much of I love my city to death. I even got it tatted on my arm. There were some things I almost forgot. You know, the never give up, never die, never, you know, we, we we keep it going. That blue collar mentality, he was really representing that. And I, I had abandoned a lot of those values for, for good reasons, because you can't take everything that you've learned throughout your life and use it for what you're doing going forward. Some things were useful for you then. They're not useful for you right now. Or some things you got to put on hold. But he started to talk about this. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Let me do some more research on this guy and come to find out he had played for the 0-16 team. So he has spent time in the city wanting the job. So he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't just talking out of the side of his neck. So that intrigued me even more. It was like, okay, all right. You know, I think, I think this is something. I didn't necessarily buy into it in the first season, but that second season he was there, it was hard because we were like one and six from the start in 2022. But then we finished nine and eight and we didn't get to the playoffs because somebody else win. But hey, we sure did beat Aaron Rodgers in his last game with Green Bay. And it made it exciting to actually look forward to the next year. But I had to pause for a second. So I'm like, man, wait a minute. Is this like the early 2000s when we would win the last game and we'd be excited about the next? Then I had to check myself. No, it's not because the difference is we had won like six games in a row. I'm starting to feel it just a little bit. So I couldn't wait for football season to start this year. And boy, did it start. Now, a couple of key things I forgot to mention. Calvin Johnson had retired. Matt Stafford had got traded for Jared Goff. 
Calvin Johnson retiring. I had to hear my homeboy DJ Academics always say that joke to me that he always wants to remind me. One thing about you Detroit Lions, y'all will send a player to the Hall of Fame, but you won't send him to the Super Bowl. Barry and such and such. Like, you know, but it's, 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 it's true. And Jared Goff, I, coming to this squad, I, you know, he had been to the Super Bowl but lost, but I wasn't that excited about it. I didn't necessarily get excited about some of the pieces they were putting together. And I admit a lot of it was because I'm in and out of paying attention to the actual, the hardware that they were adding to the squad, you know? But my man, who I told you about, my old roommate, he telling me, he's like, hey man, your coach is on something. Now, usually he talked mess to me all the time, but he was like, hey, listen, man, your coach is on to something, okay? Yo, yo, you, there's something going on there. Cause he got down to a science. I'm like, okay. All right. So I'm watching this season. We winning. I'm posting. And mind you, I post on social media whenever we win. I'm excited. I'm all into it. And man, what a season it was this past season. They played outstanding. I mean, I felt the joy. I'm walking around feeling proud, man. You know, we went eight games. We went nine games. You know, we went 10 games. Then we get in the playoffs, 11, 12. I mean, we end the season with 12 and 5. I mean, we're in the conversation of elite squads. It's us, Philly, and the 49ers, and Baltimore, you know? We we in that conversation. And the, and the, the, the Eagles, they fell off at the end, but we, we still there. And then we played a game against our old quarterback, Matthew Stafford, who shout out to him because immediately after he left the Lions, he won a Super Bowl that following year. But that's okay, though. We're happy for you, Matt. Because you helped break that 0-16 against the Redskins when the following year we were like 0-18. So shout out to you. You always be my guy, Matt Stat. But this was a playoff game. And it was about to be for real. And I didn't know what was going to happen because Matthew Stafford is still Matthew Stafford. But we won. And if you follow me at Hall Society, you would see that I was so excited. I started saying all of the cuss words, all of the Sam Jacksons in the bar. And I became that elementary school kid again who was excited that we were going to the playoffs. Oh, man, I felt it in my soul. And then the next week, we beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? What? We win a playoff game again? The first time in 32 years and we even go far? Now we're going back to the NFC Championship? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah, we go. And guess who we go up against? My secondary team that I grew up cheering for a little bit whenever the Lions will lose. But guess what? We ain't having that now. We ain't having that now. So I'm in the bar. We watching the game. As soon as I get in, I go to the bathroom. I'm hearing everyone in there who's from Detroit cheering because I'm in D.C. But there's a whole Detroit situation going on at this bar. And we score. And then we score again. And then we score, and then we up by 17 to half. I get a little bit worried because I know Shanahan is an ex-nose guy, and I know that he's going to go and make a plan, and I know that he's going to come out and do something different. And damn it, I never wanted to be so right in my life because it happened. He came out there, and not to mention, you know, we also couldn't catch the ball in the second half, which I just don't understand. But we couldn't catch the ball, and they made plays, plays they made change, and they played like the number one team that they were. And before you knew it, the game was over. And my heart was broken again. But I got to tell you, this was a different type of heartbreak. This wasn't the heartbreak that I felt when I was a kid. It wasn't the heartbreak that I felt all my life. It was a different type of heartbreak because now I'm 
I'm a full grown adult. There are things that I can comprehend now that I couldn't begin to comprehend when I was nine years old, when I was 15, when I was in my 20s. I couldn't even comprehend those things. Now it's a little bit different. Now when you say to me, team of grit, team of key trying, I start to appreciate something for what it is. And I kind of raise my chin up from the sadness of the loss. And when I'm at home, I go to sleep and I wake up, I meditate on it, and I think about what this season meant and I think about what the Lions has always meant. Now, I'm not somebody that believes in best effort awards. I'm, I'm a, I'm a win-it-all-the-we-didn't-win guy. That's just who I am, okay? It's just who I am. But there is something about a sports team that represents the city where you're from, that has such a signature culture. And maybe this is something you can identify with. You think about where you're from. You think about how you came up. You think about what the culture was around there. You ask yourself, why do we get wrapped up in sports the way we do? Yeah, it's entertaining. But sports is a different type of animal. Because sports will draw in new people when that team is starting to win. I've seen more new Detroit Lions fans than I had ever seen. And I saw a smile on their face because when you come from a city like Detroit, it's not a lot to smile about. Yeah, we have our own pride and we defensive, you know. And yeah, there's those jokes that people from Detroit let you know they're from Detroit within the first five seconds. Like, matter of fact, I probably said Detroit over 300 times in this whole conversation. But there's something for to understand if you're from a city like that, you're from a, a Pittsburgh, if you're from Oakland, California, if you're from Baltimore. And when you're from those type of cities that don't necessarily get the glamour that other cities get, where all you really have is who you are and what you say and what you're about, it becomes a different type of thing. And when you see a sports team that actually represents that culture, you have a connection with it that not too many people can really understand. So when they look at you and they say, why are you still cheering for that team? That team sucked because... You have to understand that we went through some hard times where I'm from collectively as a town. We had some down parts in our lives where we had to raise ourselves up. So, yo, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And to quote Coach Dan Campbell, I don't know if we're going to be back next year. He said at the end of the press conference, these things aren't easy. It's not just going to be easy to get back. I told you the last time we lost in the NFC Championship, the next year we are 5-11. and 11. I have no idea what's going to happen next year. My eyes are always on the Super Bowl, and I would really love for us to win the Super Bowl while I still got my teeth. Because I don't know if I got another 30 years, I know I ain't going to look like this, okay? I don't want to be fragile leaning over. I already don't have kids, you know? <laughs> Give me that. Although, on the side note, Coach, I really would like for you to kick a field goal sometimes, please. Please. I rock with you, but, you know, just a field goal sometimes. It's okay. I understand you go for fourth down all the time. I understand you play like we play Madden in the hood. I get that. I understand that your punters and your kickers, they can sit on the bench a little bit longer than the average. Well, you know, just sometimes, sometimes, coach, you know, it's okay to kick the ball. You can still be team of grit and team of hard knocks and all of that stuff and kick the ball. It don't make you anything lesser than that, okay? Just, just saying. But when you have a squad like that that represents a place that where you're from, you think about your hometown, you think about where you're from, you think about the good and the bad, if you're able to. Because some people, like, respectfully, like New Yorkers, they don't see nothing bad about their own city. I, it's amazing. It's amazing to me. <laughs> Got it. You know what I'm saying? But 
I'm talking about looking at everything that comes with where you're from. You think about your travels in life and how far you go and how you get on a winning streak in life and how that winning streak in life gets snatched from you. How do you respond to it? I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm talking about my city, but the reality of it is that's being black in America. We step into the arena of this thing called life here in this American system. We have the odds against us. We have gotten to the point we even know the odds are against us, but yet we still keep going. We do. And the reason why we're able to be successful at keep going is because of each other. Yeah, there's a lot of conversation. People like to say we don't stick for each other. And there's always people who want to point to other examples like this race sticks together and that race sticks together. And what I say to those people who say that is that you're not looking close enough. You are accepting a huge magnitude of negative things that's been said about us collectively as a community for far too long. And you're starting to believe it. To quote the great James Baldwin, when this world begins to keep telling you who you are, you start to believe it. But us as black people, we do help each other out. We may not look like the way we're helping each other out, like the way other people are helping each other out. But if you think about the smallest of things, the people that gave you direction, the people that understood where you were, the people that dapped you up, the people that gave you information that was useful, that was helping you out, that was us moving as a community. So my city is no different from your city, a city of blackness that moves in this country Despite the odds being against it, despite the fact of getting knocked down, despite the tragedy, despite all that, we find that light and we shine. That's why everybody was rooting for us the way they was. That's why we was becoming a Cinderella squad. Now, interesting enough, us in Baltimore would have been a great fun to see at the Super Bowl. Dice games in a parking lot galore. You understand me? I was ready to find me somehow a way to go to Vegas and to roll me a seven in a parking lot. I was ready for it. But sadly, that didn't happen. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. Just like what's happening with you right now and what you're trying to achieve, it doesn't mean that it can't happen. You have to, to quote Buster Rhymes, be delusional in your goal. You have to be the one person, the only person that is never, ever, ever going to doubt that you can make it despite what's going to come at you. You have to grind your teeth. You have to grit. But you also got to take care of yourself. You also got to love yourself. You also got to take time to recover. That is what I insert into my life now versus when I was coming up. I'm not just going to be out here just grinding, just grinding, just grinding. No, I'm going to have my moments. I'm going to have to take care of myself. Like, for example, I couldn't be on this show a couple weeks ago because I had totally lost my voice. I had to take care of myself. I need you to take care of yourself. That's not in our history enough because we didn't have the opportunity as Black people enough to actually take care of ourselves. But it's here right now. So like my Detroit Lions, if there's anything that you can learn from it, whether you're a Lion fan or not, is to understand that it doesn't stop. There's always next year. You will be back on top. And as, as long as there's opportunity, there's a chance. As long as you're breathing, there's a way. Because that is what the history of being Black is about. And that is what me being a native Detroiter, born and raised on the West Side, spent a lot of time on the East Side, that's who I am. And I know wherever where you're from, that's who you are also too. They can't make you quit. They won't never make me quit. And next year, you is not going to see my Lions quit because we're going to the Super Bowl. You heard it right here. <laughs> that does it for me on this episode of History Being Black Podcast. I appreciate you listening to me. Make sure you check out all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, and every place where you can find podcasts. Make sure you follow me at J Hall Society. 
as usual, you be blessed and successful, and I'll talk to you soon. We ghosts! The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production.